can go and open your Bibles if you have them there. Uh, scripture will also be on the screen. If you're watching online, it'll be right below me there. But John chapter 17, uh, it's on page 903 if you're using one of the Bibles on the pew rack there in front of you. John chapter 17. You know, as Jesus was finishing up his time on earth, he had been really investing in his disciples, really pouring into them. And it probably in a way, really, that they had no idea on the front end. You know, when he chose them to come and follow him, they had no idea what it would look like at the end of the road. Even though he told them repeatedly over and over again what was going to happen, they didn't really anticipate when he was arrested or crucified or really when he rose from the dead. They had no idea what was going to come from that, but even once Jesus rose from the dead and then a few weeks later would ascend into heaven, the responsibility that was laid upon them was pretty massive. I mean, try to put yourself in their shoes. With your knowledge of history for the last 2,000 years. And Jesus puts on those guys the mission to take the gospel to the world. And so now you know here, sitting here in 2021, how far the gospel has come with millions and billions of people having heard the gospel now, starting from just those ones he gave it to that day. And he laid that on them and said, this is your responsibility. Go and tell the world about me. Didn't give them a strategy. Didn't give them a step-by-step process, just said, do it, and then he was gone. And they waited and prayed for 10 days, and the Holy Spirit came, and they just went out and started telling people about Jesus in whatever way they knew. You know, many times today, uh, Mike and I have counseled people and talked to them, and they say, well, I just, I don't know enough to tell people about Jesus. Well, the thing is, if you know enough to know Jesus, you know enough to tell somebody else about Jesus. That's all, you, you don't have to have some big seminary degree, you don't have to know all the big, you know, Bible words and stuff, you just have to know Jesus, God's son, died and rose from the dead. That's it. You believe it, your sins are forgiven, and you go to heaven forever. That's the gospel. That's it. And so these guys, these disciples went out and started telling people, and Jesus had spent dedicated time really making sure they knew how to follow him how to trust him even when he was gone. He was laying it on them to say, this is how you follow me, by showing them over the course of those several years how to follow him, how to trust him. There was one time he sent them out to share the gospel in some cities, and he said, don't take any money, don't take a spare set of clothes, don't take your toothbrush, first century toothbrush, whatever that was, don't take a walking stick, don't take anything. Just walk into town and trust that God will provide everything you need. Extra, extra pair of sandals if they break, extra set of clothes if they get dirty, uh, some food every time you go in. Just trust that God will provide it for you that day. I mean, how would you like to walk around your life with that? Like, God said, all right, go today, empty your bank account, empty your wallet on the first person you see on the road, and just trust me that I'm going to give you everything you need on Monday. Trust me, I'm going to give you everything you need on Tuesday. That's what God was, or Jesus was giving these disciples. He said, go and just trust. Just go and trust that it will be there everything you need and so they went and they did and now here they are at the end of Jesus' ministry here in John 17 and Jesus has been pouring into them and investing in them because he knew that he was leaving 
And they were going to have to be taking over, even though they didn't quite grasp what all that meant. And so what Jesus does is he goes and he begins to pray for them. John 17, it's the longest prayer of Jesus we have. And the vast majority of it, he's praying for his disciples, those guys that were going to take the message. But then at the very end of his prayer, he does something very unique. He begins to pray for people who will believe his message in the future. That's us. So he spends about six or seven verses here praying for you, sitting in a green pew in 2021 in Dequeen, Arkansas. He spent these verses praying specifically for you. And so let's look at what he says. Uh, Verse 20. Jesus is praying and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now wait, before we go on, the gravity of that verse alone is enough to humble anyone. He prays that us, people who follow Jesus, that we would be one, unified. And how deep does that unity go? In the same depth that Jesus and God are unified. Try to wrap your head around that. Jesus is God. And he says, God, I pray that those people who are going to believe in 2,000 years, that they would be just as unified as you and I are. Would you say we've answered that prayer very well today? Just today. So he's praying that we Christians here today would be just as unified as he and God are. And that we would be, and then he says, that they also may be in us. That is, that we would be unified with God. And if we're unified, as an individual, if I'm unified with God and you're unified with God, then we're unified together. So he says that we would all be unified for this purpose, that the world may believe that you sent me. So unity encourages belief. Unity encourages belief, but the inverse of that is also true. Disunity encourages disbelief. Disunity encourages disbelief. He says, may they be unified so that the world, unbelieving world, will believe that you sent me which is at the core of the gospel. Look at verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. There it is again. He's praying for unity. Verse 23. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. He's really driving the point home here by saying it over and over and over. He's not just like some of us who pray the same thing over and over again because we don't know what to say next. He's really investing in this. There, verse 23. I in you, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfectly one. Not imperfectly one, but perfectly one. Perfectly unified. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved, loved them. So that God loved us even as God loved Jesus, who is God. Which is really another one of those baffling things to really try to, how is that possible? But he says that the world may know that you sent me. So that proves that 
Jesus was sent by God. What proves it? God's love in us. God's love in us proves the gospel. God's love in us displayed in how we interact and how we speak and even in how we think proves that Jesus came from God. It proves that. And, and really, the more we know of God, the more we know of his love. And the more we know of his love, the more we can experience his love. You can't, you know, uh, uh, ingest more of a relationship with God without experiencing more of his love. The closer you get to God, the more love you're going to have from him. And then the more love you have from him, the more love you'll be able to give from him. Like a con we've talked about that last fall, being a conduit for God's love to everyone around us. Not a dead-end street, but allowing it to flow through us into others around us. And he says there, that proves the gospel, that God sent Jesus on our behalf. Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known for this reason that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus is, is kind of testifying in his prayer to God. I have made known your name to them. So I have told them everything. I've told them the gospel. I've shared with them what needs to happen, how the world is to know. I, I've shared this with them, and I'm going to continue to make it known to them. And how's he going to do that? He's about to die and then go to heaven through the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. And so he's going to continue to make the name of God known to his followers so that the love that God had will be in us. The greatness, the, the unbound, the limitless love that God has would be in us today. That we would be able to have that. And he's given this instruction to them about love, not just in his prayer here. I mean, the reason we have this prayer recorded is because he wasn't, you know, his disciples were close enough to hear the prayer. This is in the Gospel of John. John was one of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were close enough to Jesus. When Jesus prayed, they heard him, and so John took the prayer and he wrote it down. And that's why we have it here in the Gospel of John. And so he hears Jesus praying this, that God's love would be in us. And it recalls something to his mind of an instruction that he gave before, back in John chapter 13. Jesus said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, I love that he says, a new command I give to you, love each other. You ever feel like that with your kids? Like, just love each other for, for Pete's sake. Just love each other. He's like, he says, a new command. It's like it's never been heard before, right? A new command I give to you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Look at the next verse. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now here in John chapter 13, which is where this verse is, this is at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. Jesus is there with his disciples, they, doing the Lord's Supper. They, Jesus washed their feet, and he gives them this instruction the night before he's going to be crucified, which was also, John chapter 17, we just read a minute ago, was when he prayed right before he was arrested. So all this was taking place in the same evening. 
So Jesus says this to his disciples at the dinner. Love one another just as I have loved you. Now that, that really goes beyond the second greatest commandment, you know. Uh, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. This is a whole nother level. Because look at what he says there in verse 34. Love one another as I have loved you. So you're supposed to, we're supposed to love each other as Jesus loves us. We're not supposed to love each other as, as we understand love, as the world tells us in movies and TV shows love is supposed to be between each other. He says, as I have loved you, that's how you're supposed to love each other. As Jesus is on the cross asking forgiveness for the very ones who nailed him to the cross. As Jesus was sharing the gospel with Nicodemus, who was a part of the court who would convict Jesus to be crucified. We're supposed to love each other with that level of love. So he says, as I have loved you, that's how you're supposed to love one another. And then he says what he prayed in John 17 there in verse 35. And by this, all people, every single person, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Have love for one another. So he says we're supposed to love each other as he loves us. And that is proof to the unbelieving world that we belong to Jesus. So when we don't love each other, we're proving to the world we don't belong to Jesus. It's as though we're saying, I don't know Jesus, kind of like Peter when he denied him three times. I don't know that man. I don't know him. And we don't do it verbally because none of us are going to go out there and declare, hey, I don't know Jesus. But we do it by our actions and how we treat each other and how we interact with each other when we don't love each other. Even when somebody is being unkind and we're just giving it back to them, I'm just giving them truth. You're not giving them love, I can tell you that. Love is a whole different thing. As Jesus loved. Well, what is love, though? What is love? I mean, exa- I mean, if you think about it, what is love? I mean, you say, I love tacos. Okay, good. What does that mean? What does that look like? Do you love your spouse? Do you love your kids? Do you love your neighbors? Do you love the people around you? Do you love the other people in the room here? Do you, what is love exactly? Well, we have that laid out for us too in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. This is read in all kinds of weddings and all kinds of places. Even people who don't believe in Jesus read this at their weddings. But the love chapter wasn't specifically written for married couples. It, it can be used that way if they're believers in Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 was just for people who follow Jesus. This is how you're supposed to love each other. If you're not married, if you just pass somebody in the hallway, going to the bathroom, in the sermon, you're supposed to love them in this way that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now we're going to read it, and then I'm going to walk back through it with you. This is what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Now, that word resentful there in verse 5 literally means, and some of your translations may say this, keep a record of wrongs. When somebody does something and you feel as though it wronged you, you keep a list in the back of your mind to bring up later on, and you become resentful and you're even bitter towards that person. So that's not loving. Love is not irritable. It's not resentful. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. The truth of the gospel is what Paul's talking about in that verse. Not the truth that you feel is your opinion and your right to share, 
but the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about. It rejoices with the truth. So like Silas getting saved with the new candle on the platform, getting baptized, that's what we can rejoice at. This is phenomenal because it's all about the gospel. That's what life is all about. It's not about you expressing your truth. It's about the truth of the gospel. That's what we're rejoicing here. Not rejoicing when somebody's wronged somebody else. I mean, or not rejoicing when somebody you don't like gets wronged or something bad happens to somebody you don't like and you quietly inside, even though you don't outside say it because you're a good Christian, but inside you're thinking, I'm glad that happened to them. I mean, they deserve that mess. But he says that's not love as Jesus loved us. Look at the next verse, verse 7. This is kind of the Paul laying it all out here. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love never ends. I've got a list for you. Penelope, pop that list up there. Let's see if it works. I had to do some new formatting. Hey, all right. I didn't know if it would work. We had to change the format of the slide. All right. So this is, this is the list of everything that's listed there that love is. So love is patient, always. It doesn't get to a qualifier. Love is patient only when you're in a good mood. Love is patient as long as you don't have a headache. Love is patient as long as you didn't eat something, you know, something bad at lunch. Lo- love is patient even when that person just keeps saying that same thing over and over again. You just want to slap them. No, love is patient, period. That's, what, that's a defining characteristic of love patience love is kind always love is kind always not just when somebody else is kind to you even when somebody's rude to you even when the service at the restaurant isn't that great and it's time to leave the tip love is kind always because remember it's all about the gospel it's a demonstration of the love you have within you Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love isn't jealous when somebody else gets blessed better than you. When something good happens to somebody else. Love doesn't envy what happens over there. Love rejoices. This is something great that happened over there. Love is excited about that. Love does not envy ever. Love doesn't boast. Love doesn't brag. Hey, look what I got over here. Look at this. Look how good my life is going. I got me a new truck. All right. Look, love doesn't brag like that. That's not love. Love isn't boastful. Love isn't arrogant, prideful. Now, this is a difficult one because pride is the original sin. I mean, pride is what drove Satan to to, uh, revolt against God. He thought he could be a better God than God. Pride is, is a difficult one sometimes to snuff out in our own hearts because it's very sneaky in its presence within us. But love is not arrogant at all. Love is not rude at all. Now, you say, well, I didn't say that thing. Well, love isn't necessarily something that's always said or expressed or an action we do. Love is something that's within us. So love is not rude even in your own thoughts. Now, a thought can come and go. That's temptation. You don't have to, you know, focus on it. When you focus on it, that can become sin. Temptation is when the enemy brings something into your mind, and then when you latch onto it, hang on to it, that's when sin takes hold. But just having the thought pass through your brain, that doesn't make it sin. But love is not rude even in how you think about somebody else. 
Love is not rude. Love is selfless. Putting somebody else before yourself. Love is not irritable. <laughs> that was for parents. Love, love is not irritable. Ever. <laughs> That's a difficult one. Can I get an amen? Yeah, love is not irritable. It keeps no list of wrongs. Love rejoices with the truth. Now, and then you get to this verse 7 here. Love bears all things. Even when somebody offends you, love bears the offense. Even when somebody sins against you, love bears the sin. Even when somebody just straight up keeps wronging you over and over and over again, love bears all things. Love doesn't bear all things except for that person because, you know, God, that is Satan incarnate. And God put them, they're on the earth and, and they are possessed by the enemy. Now, love bears all things. All things. You know, the, the literal translation of that Greek, that word there for, for all, you know what it means? All. All. That's every single thing. It bears all things. Even the hard things, even when the report from the doctor is not very good, even when you get the bill from the internet company and there's some unexpected charges on there, love bears all things. And, even, and that can go back to love is always kind. <laughs> love bears all things when you call them about those incorrect charges. Love also believes all things. Think about it. Now, you think, okay, believe, what, do you, what do you mean? Believes all things, like People say the world is flat. I don't believe that one. I mean, but the love believes, that means love does not assume negative things. Love assumes the best. Somebody says something, oh, that person did such and such, and you believe it instinctively because you've already made up your mind about the kind of person that person is. Now, love assumes the best. Well, that thing happened that I'm sure that's not what they meant. I'm sure that's 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 not what they meant. Because in that moment, the enemy begins to play with our head and say, oh, that is what they meant. They think that you are, you know, fill in the blank. They think they, they disrespect you. They don't care about you. They don't love you because they're not showing it. They do this and that and the other thing. Love believes all things. It assumes the best always. Even people you don't like. Love assumes the best. Love hopes all things. That is hopes for good. Love endures all things. That is a persevering love. It endures all things. It always perseveres. Because you see, this, these characteristics of love that is here, love never ends. We get these characteristics of love from the very definition of love. God is love. This is the heart of God towards us, his rebellious people. How many times do we, should we be trying God's patience, but he loves us anyway? Because love is patient. How many times are we unkind to the Lord in how we react? And yet he's kind to us. How many times does he bear all things with us in our own actions? And so this love that Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians 13 is exactly what Jesus spoke about both in John 13 and in John 17. We're supposed to love what the love he has for us. There's the definition. That's the love we're supposed to have. So that when we don't have those things, we're not displaying the love within us, which what did Jesus say in John 13 and 17? When we don't display the love of Jesus within us, we're showing the world that we don't belong to Jesus. Let me give you an illustration. Micah, you come and help me for a sec. 
Brandon, you come and help me for a sec. We're going to give it a love demonstration. I love these guys. Micah, I see Micah every day. Brandon's in my small group. Best beard I know. Come a little closer. I love you. Come on. And so I've got some gum here. I value my gum. I don't just hand it out. I gave an illustration a week or so ago about Ethan taking my gum. I didn't like that. I was not always very patient when he took my gum. But we're going to let gum represent love. And so I say, hey, Micah, I love you. Don't open it yet. You can open it in a minute, not yet. Brandon, I love you. Because you got a beard, be careful with the bubbles. And so I give them that gum. I, I give away my love. I love you, and I show it. You see, because love is a decision. Love isn't just words. It's a decision we make. It's not just emotion. It's not. It, it's a decision we make. And so, I mean, that's what I tell people when I, when I counsel them uh, in getting ready for marriage, is that love isn't just how you feel. It's not that. That's infatuation. That's affection. Love is the decision you make in five years when you wake up. I'm deciding to love this person today. Love is a decision we have to make irregardless of stuff that happens. And so I can choose the love and I say it. I love you. I love you. And I'm making that decision by handing you that love. But then Micah does something and I get a little impatient. I love you anymore. I love you. You can't have my gum. And Brandon over here, he does something that I, that I assume, you know, he didn't mean it this way, but I take it a certain way. And so I hear it, and, and I assume something that's not the best. Yeah, I don't love you. Take my gum. I love you. Yeah, all right, you jerk. And so I think these things, and I do these things, and I remove the love that I so freely handed out at the beginning. But I take it away as soon as I do some, they do something that makes me impatient. And now that's a mindset that's wrong. They made me impatient. No, I decided not to love them, and I decided to be impatient. He can't make me do anything. I decided to take my love away and give him impatience. I decided to take my love away and give him unkindness. I decided to take it away and give them something else. All right, you can take it. You can have the gum now. It's like, this is really good gum. It tastes like a mint in your mouth. It's awesome. All right, there you go. I had other gum, but they stopped selling the gum that I got, so Katie got me this other kind of gum to try, and I really kind of like it. You ever, this has nothing to do with sermon, you get something you really, really like, and then they stop selling it, and you're like, ah, oh, man, now, now my life is turned upside down, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, my wife takes care of me, so I love her. She can have my gum. Uh, so, but look at that list. When we choose to be arrogant with someone, when we choose to be selfish with someone, when we choose to be rude with someone, when we choose to, to rejoice at somebody's, when something bad happens to them, when we keep a list of perceived wrongs against someone, when we don't persevere with someone, when we don't bear all things with someone, we're removing our love from them and giving them something else. But the consequences of that, Jesus already spoke about that we read in John 13 and 17. It's showing the unbelieving world that we are not following Jesus. That's the consequence. We're showing the world, I'm not following Jesus right now, I'm following my selfishness. 
I'm not following Jesus right now. I'm following my unkindness. I'm not following Jesus right now. I'm following my political opinion. I'm not following Jesus right now. I'm following something else. And so we're showing them we are not being followers of Jesus when we remove our love from them and give them something else. Because love is a decision that we make. It's a decision we make. Even when you don't feel good about the person, it's a, I'm choosing to love them. I know what they said. I know what they did. I know what they spent that $100 on I gave them. I know they're going to do it again tomorrow. But I'm choosing to love them because Jesus chose to love me before I was born. Knowing exactly the millions of sins I would accomplish. He chose to love me anyway. I wouldn't choose to love me if I knew everything Jesus knew. But he chose to. He chose it. In the same way he chose to love you, we, according to Jesus, are supposed to love other people. And that love towards each other proves that Jesus is in us. Proves that God sent Jesus to die for the world. Because that's not from man at all. That's not from man. Man says, get your revenge. Man says, treat them like they treat you. But God says, no. Love. 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 Choose to love. Love never ends, he says there in verse 8. N never, ever, ever ends. If you make the decision, it doesn't stop. But you have to make, sometimes you've got to make the decision every five minutes. I'm making that decision again. I'm making that, I'm loving them. Jesus, I'm loving, Jesus, take me or take them. Jesus, I love, I'm choosing to love them, Jesus. I'm choosing right now. Love, Jesus, I'm choosing love. And we have to choose to love them. And that love towards them is the very thing he prayed for in John 17 will bring us together, even when we don't agree. Think about the disciples Jesus chose, okay? We've talked about them here before. One of them was a man named Matthew. He worked for the government. He was a government employee. He was a tax collector. They had a bad reputation from stealing from people. You see, Rome didn't care what the tax collectors did, how, how they cheated, how much money they asked to bring in. As long as Rome got their money, tax collectors could charge whatever they wanted. They didn't care. And that's the reputation tax collectors had. Matthew was one of those guys. And, and it's implied in the text, he wasn't just a regular tax collector, he was like a manager over other tax collectors. So like the regular tax collectors would charge too much, then the managers would charge too much, then the regional guys would charge too much, and they would ship to Rome what they got, and everybody would keep under the table what they were charging. And so this is the reputation Matthew had being called into the disciples. And another one of the disciples was a guy named Simon the Zealot. He, want, he was almost a domestic terrorist. He wanted to overthrow the government. He wanted to build up an army and kick Rome out. That's what Simon wanted. And these are the guys Jesus calls in the room. Hey, Simon. Hey, Matthew. I'm so glad you're here. Y'all are buddies. So when I say, buddy, everybody's got to raise their hand. Make sure your buddy's with you. It's Simon the Zealot, Matthew the tax collector. You two guys are together. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to see what happens here. Jesus calls these guys together with vastly different political opinions and puts them in the same room. How are they able to function? Because of love. 
because of love. That's how they were there. Jesus is displaying it just in the very disciples that he calls, and he brings them together for love, for the sake of the gospel. He brings them together. And what is the gospel? The gospel is love. And what is love? 1 Corinthians 13 is that list. That is what love is and how we're supposed to interact with each other and, and, and pour this love out to each other, make this decision to love one another. And so how do I follow Jesus? To follow Jesus, I have to choose to love people. To follow Jesus, I have to choose to love people. Because if I ever choose not to love people and choose to do one of those things not on that list, I'm choosing to not follow Jesus. So when I choose to be unkind, I'm choosing not to follow Jesus. When I choose to be rude, I'm choosing not to follow Jesus. When I choose to be impatient, I'm choosing not to follow Jesus. When I choose to let my mouth just run and run and run, I'm choosing not to follow Jesus. When I'm not bearing all things with all people, I'm choosing not to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, I have to choose to love people. Even with people I disagree with. Even with people who tend to irritate me when I'm not following him. Even with people who, who decide to do things that I don't think they should decide to do. When they make decisions that I think are not the best decisions in the world. I have to choose to love them anyway. Because if I am going to be a follower of Jesus, I have to choose to love them. I can't make them do whatever. That's up to Jesus and them. My decision is to love them. Not to make a decision for them. My decision is to love them. To follow Jesus, I have to love them. And that love for them displays the very unity Jesus was praying for in John chapter 17. He prayed for our unity that could only be possible because of love. Jesus said in another moment, and it was quoted by Abraham Lincoln, a house divided against itself cannot stand. It will crumble and fall. And so if we're too busy fighting each other, and, and whether it's on social media or in person or, or, or you know, saying negative things about other believers or even having them in our mind, we are undermining God's purpose within us. We're supposed to love each other and display that for the world. And in that unity, it shows the world the love of Jesus. To follow Jesus, I have to choose to love people to love all people, no matter what, no matter who they voted for, no matter what they look like, no matter what they say about me, no matter what they say about our church on Facebook, no matter what laws are passed, I have to choose to love because that's more important than any of that other stuff. Because in a thousand years, all that's going to matter is the gospel. And so that's all that should matter now. And the gospel is demonstrated through love. Through love. That's the only way. I mean, guys, I have extremely strong political opinions. I'm not going to stand up here and spout them because that's not my job. Not just as a pastor, as a Christian. My job is to love. Period. He didn't give John 17, John 13, 1 Corinthians 13 just to pastors, professional Christians. He gave it to every Christian. Love one another. Love them. I don't mean you can't talk about it, but how you talk about it. 
how you talk about it. Love one another. Love one another, as he said in John 13, as I have loved you. We're supposed to have the love of Jesus within us for those around us. Love one another. You see, so what we've seen, we've seen Jesus in John 17. Jesus prayed for you. We see in John 13, Jesus loved you. Jesus chose to love you. And so the question you have to ask yourself today is, will you choose to love Jesus first? Will you choose to love Jesus and pray to Jesus? Will you choose to love one another and display the fact that you are a follower of Jesus? Will you hand your love out or not? Will you love one another or not? To have that love of Jesus to hand out, you have to have the love of Jesus to begin with. And we all have access to the love of Jesus. We all have access to it. We just have to initiate it. You know, not too, uh, several years ago, we put a fan in our kitchen. It was the hottest room in the house. We put a fan in the kitchen. And uh, it was actually the same brand of fan that was in our living room. And what we didn't realize at the time when we bought the fan, it came with a remote and it had three speeds on it. You could hit speed one, the fan would go so fast, speed two, speed three. But if you hit any of those speeds, it would also, if the fan in the living room was on, it would change the speed of the fan in the living room. And so you have to turn one fan off to change the speed of the other fan. And uh, didn't, if we would have known that, probably would have put a different kind of fan because uh, it's frustrating. But the light, I always thought, was super dim in the kitchen. Before we put that fan in, we had this big, almost like a shop light, and it lit up the kitchen like super bright. And this, this new light, it was LED, so it's supposed to be bright. The light wasn't that bright. And, and the fan worked, but the light wasn't that. And so we just thought, oh, we got a dud here. You, know, you buy it something sometimes, it doesn't really work. Uh, and this went on for months. You know, usually you would take it down and you know, take it back, but <laughs> it took hours and hours to install that fan. I wasn't about to take it out without trying to figure out what the problem was. And uh, so it just, I, I guess we've got to accept. We just have a dim light in our kitchen, in the center of our home. We just got a dim light. Well, one day on accident, I went to reach for the remote to turn the fan up, and uh, I was just holding the remote and kept holding the button because the fan wasn't turning on. But then I started to realize as I was holding the button down that I wasn't holding one of the fan level buttons. There was a button in the middle that was the light button. And as I held it down, the dimness of the light in the kitchen changed, and it got really bright, like almost too bright, like blind yourself bright. And so we had had this light in our house for months and never realized it could light up our kitchen in a whole new way if we just knew how to operate the thing, if we had read the instruction manual. Well, I'm giving you the summation of the instruction manual. You have access to a light that can not only light up your life, but everyone around you. You just got to push the button. And that's the love of Jesus. Will you choose to love today? First, you have to accept that love into your own life and believe in Jesus. And if you want to do that, in just a minute, this is what's going to happen. I'll give you a preview. I'm going to pray. The music team is going to come. And as soon as I say amen, if you want to come to know Jesus and accept that love from him for the very first time, I will be here, Micah will be here, we would love to talk to you. 
You can catch us after the service as well. If you're watching online, wherever you're watching it, website, Facebook, YouTube, there's a button right below the video screen that says, I made a decision. If you click on that button and it asks for your name, your email, and, and the decision you made, it sends an email right to my email. I'll get it right here, right now. You click that button, I will call you this afternoon, and I would love to celebrate with you and pray over you. Make that decision today. Believe in Jesus today. Accept his love today so that then all of us, we can then go and we can choose to love those around us. Choose to love them. Will you choose love today?